You t- you take cashier check. <laughs> Friday, April 24th, 2020, time for episode 109 of the Barnhart Podcast, and it is the return of the Financial Friday, take three. Uh, eventually, I'm going to get this correct uh, tonight. At least the audio is not messed up. It's just I hit record, and then I forgot what, <laughs> what I was going to say. But uh, we're still under COVID craziness, and we'll get to more of that in a minute. Um, but it, it's it's Ramadan now. Does that factor into Financial Friday at all? <laughs> You and your Ramadan references. Um, I, I would have eaten pork today if if it weren't for the fact that it's the uh, it's the day that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was crucified, and we and we don't eat meat on that on that day of the week. So, but uh, no, not not observing Ramadan this year, any year, ever. Yeah. Well, bacon for breakfast, ham sandwiches for lunch, and pork chops tomorrow night. I think that sounds like a good plan for Saturday. That's a good Saturday. That's a good Saturday. It's Very a, nice. Yeah, too bad we cannot mix in Corona beer with it. I was just mentioning before we started recording that uh, the last time I stopped by the liquor store, which is open because it's essential, of course, uh, I asked them if they had been selling a lot of Corona beer, and they said no. They were told to pull stock on it because oh, people are crazily thinking that you can get sick from the stuff. <laughs> So I, I did a Google search on this. I, I, it's not a widespread thing. Maybe it's just here and around where I'm at. And But I did see that uh, Grupo Modelo, who is the, the parent company brewer who makes Corona, they did shut down production of Corona beer in Mexico as non-essential. Now, they're making everything else, and they're still making money during the downturn. But I just thought that was really weird that I, I said it as a joke. It's like, yeah, people are not buying it because they're afraid of the coronavirus. And it's like, the guy kind of rolled his head and sh- and, and nodded. He's like, no, you're kidding. He's like, no, seriously. We, we literally pulled it out of the store. No. Oh, and lo, the sixth seal was broken. And he rode on a white horse of death or whatever. Oh, that. Yeah. People wonder, how is it that, that the, the things in the end times are going to happen? Or just right now, how can stupidity reign? Well, people don't know any better. You You have people thinking that the president really said, inject yourself with Lysol. Um, <laughs> or Clorox. Well, oh, yeah. I mean, it's oh. and the and, well. And did we ever talk about the fact that 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 man who died from drinking the fish aquarium cleaner that it it's looking very, very, very probable that his wife like literally murdered him for a life insurance yes. policy or so. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And and, and uh, the the stuff on the fish cleaner it even says this is fish cleaner it's chlorine something or other so it, you'd, you'd have to be well you know what this gets back to what i just said people aren't very smart anymore we've got a horrible education system and you know maybe he could not read the difference between chlorine and hydroxychloroquine that's definitely a possibility that that it's there's that and then it's also the fact of um why is it that people who are who would take an IQ test, for example, and score above 100, why is it that all of these people seem to be just terminally stupid as well? It's diabolical disorientation, sin makes you stupid, unworthy reception of of uh, sacramental communion, as we've talked about at length on previous episodes, that makes you stupid. So you've got, you've got people who should be otherwise intelligent and should be able to just think through this easily and see through this easily, 
what in the hell is going on that everybody is just incapable of of processing even the simplest data sets that are right in front of them. I mean, I'm I'm willing to concede that I can see how a person could be confused about the the identity of the Pope. Okay, this is a canon law argument, da 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 da, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I, I can see that. Now, once it's explained to you, that's another question. But just on the surface of it, I can see how how someone would be honestly misled and confused about that. I don't understand how people can be can be misled about this. I mean, it's right in front of you. They're you know they're calling for um, at the beginning of this. There were people in in Francis Trad Inc. that were calling for two to three billion people dying, and then of course you know in the U.S. they were calling for the initial numbers were what two million, three million, something like that. Um, A lot higher than it really is. Millions and millions and millions, and then they ratchet that back to to two hundred thousand, which, um, excuse me, that's like a normal flu season. Um, and then they ratchet that back, so now it's down in the five figures and the mid five figures, which means it's far far less than a normal seasonal flu. Um, and there's just people who are absolutely unable to process any of this. And the other thing that mystifies me is, okay, you've got people on on the right who know damn good and well that the media lies through their teeth, A, and that which they're not lying about, they are frequently in error about, that the, the media is completely untrustworthy. And I could kick myself. Um, we'll put out a call for this if any of the listeners can help me find this, I read this a while back. There's a technical term for this. When you are, when you have this bias, wherein you are, for example, reading a newspaper and you're reading an article about, let's say, something that pertains to your personal area of professional expertise, and you're reading a piece in the newspaper and you know that what it says in the newspaper is either factually wrong or lying because it's your personal area of expertise and you look at that and you say well this is this is all completely wrong but then you read the rest of the newspaper and your your normalcy bias i guess kicks in and you believe everything else that's in the rest of the newspaper, where common sense tells you that if you've just identified that there's something in this newspaper that is that is completely, totally wrong, um, usually a combination of error and mendacity, why in the world would you believe anything else that's in that newspaper? You should pick, you should throw that newspaper down and never, never read that newspaper ever again. But people do this all the time. And this is exactly the same thing that's going on now. You have people who know damn good and well, and people who have been railing against, like, say, for example, CNN, MSNBC, even Fox. I mean, they're all corrupt, but CNN and MSNBC are completely untrustworthy. But now you have people, people on the right, people on the trad Catholic right. Someone goes on CNN and says, um, uh, what, what's the latest thing now? Um, coronavirus causes brain damage. And they, they jump all over that and say, oh yeah, yeah, look at that, look at that, look at that. 
what the hell's wrong with you? These people are liars. You know that they're liars. You've been railing against them for years for being a damn bunch of dirty, lying propagandists serving the new world order. But now, now when CNN says, oh, coronavirus causes causes brain damage and is is transmitted by farts. You you can't get on the internet. You can't log on to your social media, your Facebook, your Twitter fast enough and start spreading that crap around. That's I mean, that kind of news sounds like somebody who poses as an intern at the NHS or the US version thereof and and calls the news media and and, and it's kind of like that story where the uh, Korean airliner crashed in, in uh, on landing in San Francisco and somebody posed maybe there really was an intern yeah. called yeah. and said the pilot's name was something Wong something Wong and, and they went out I mean yeah. there were, there was four of them four names yeah. there and, and, and they we, went we out too on the, low and yeah 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 bing ding ow or something like that it, it was it was you know really you know not it's funny that the news anchors in San Francisco who are supposed to be smart people and they've got an Asian community and they should know these things. Now they, they, they biff that one pretty hard, but in other things where, where they are not so dumb, they, they, they tell lies. You have other things where they are in, they're, they're technically not lying, but they're misleading in a, in a gross manner. So apparently one of the, the recommendations that's coming out of the white house uh, these days is, is that isopropyl alcohol, uh, after 30 seconds, we'll disinfect and, and neutralize COVID-19 germs. Well, so somebody, I forget which news outlet it was, pu- published something that isopropyl alcohol is $2,000. Well, yeah, if you buy a 55-gallon drum, yeah, that's the mendacity of, of, of what's going on. And you mentioned the idiot talking heads on, on um, different networks. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to um, uh, Reverend Al uh, Sharpton. This guy can't even pronounce words on a teleprompter. He's subverbal. He can't even read. Yeah. I don't know if he can read or not. Well, whether or not he can read, he can't speak. And and mm-hmm. this is somebody who is supposed to be a reverend and and uh, <laughs> please. You know that he was you know his backstory. He was ordained he, he was ordained. An FBI informant. Oh, he was an FBI informant. He was a lot of things. He was ordained when he was like six years old or something like that. So his his father was basically a carny who was whose carny shtick was being a preacher. And so the little Al Sharpton, when he was a little itty bitty kid, would hear his you know carnival barker preacher father and all the other people on that on that um, carnival barker. Christian circuit preaching, doing their shtick the way that they do it. And he started doing, and this little kid started mimicking this and doing impressions of it. Well, hell, they jumped all over that and declared that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and da-da-da. And um, they ordained him, ordained in ginormous, ginormous uh, BS quotes there. Um, when he was like six years old or something like that. And then they basically took him on tour like a, like a circus freak, like any other circus freak. And they'd put him up on the stage and he would do his impression and repeat the phrase, the words and phrases with the screaming inflection that he heard his father and other men doing. And that's, that's Al Sharpton's entire uh, pedigree, basically. Um, he's, it's just fraud from top to bottom. And, you know, the whole Tawana Brawley thing and those, the Garment District riots that he incited and all those people died. I mean, Freddie's Fashion Mart. Freddie's Fashion Mart. Yep. And the fact that that 
he's never met a Jew he didn't want to kill. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he has has no interest in converting them at all. But um, yeah, and and now, but you know what? He couldn't crawl into bed with them fast enough when they offered him a, a show on what is he on? Even MSNBC. MSNBC. Yeah. Oh yeah, he couldn't crawl in bed with them fast enough when they offer him a problem. It's got to be a million a million dollar a year pay package plus. Um, and he's, <laughs> and he's still, he's probably still, he probably hasn't paid taxes on any of that either. And, you know, I, I'm one to talk, I know, but I'm make significantly less than a million dollars a year. So, but you can at least spell the word respect without a teleprompter after the Aretha Franklin, uh, death, he, he did this little tribute and yep. then, and then he spelled it R E S P I C T I I C K. Oh, he was, and he's reading it and he can't even spell it correctly. That's, yep. that, that's the, that's what passes for news talent to inform you and keep you up to know it. So you can be a good citizen and vote correctly. He is one of the um, voices on the Flickr box that told everybody to put themselves under house arrest and everybody said, oh, okay. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's diabolical disorientation and we don't have to rehash all of that, that it's, it's cultural suicide. Do you're, everybody's done it to themselves. It's, there's, if we had, if we had a proper and effective education system, People wouldn't pay attention to him. They wouldn't. Uh, well, MSNBC doesn't really get ratings anyway. I was going to say MSN, he, his show wouldn't get ratings, so he wouldn't have a job. But they'd see through it, and they'd, he'd be a laughing stock, as opposed to a non-trivial number of people thinking he actually tells the truth. And he can't even read the teleprompter right. Um, this gets into the first thing I have in my notes. Uh, passed today, you know, actually Trump signed today, a spending bill that authorized, it passed by 388 to 5 vote in the House. This is incredible. Another $484 billion uh, for COVID-19 payout. Nothing going to education, which obviously kind of needs it right now because there's there's nothing going on right now that actually makes any sense. But apparently we're going to be paying more money to small businesses, more money going into the payroll protection plan so we can basically bail, do a direct bailout. Well, that's actually better than bailing out foreign banks. I mean, I'll, I'll give it that. But this this now brings the total crisis response or the COVID nineteen response to almost three trillion dollars, and I, it's kind of all make believe at this point anyway. I mean the the, the numbers that are being thrown around. It, it, I don't think there's there's any intention by the policymakers and and the the, the legislators and, and executives in Washington. I don't think they really plan on ever really paying this back. Oh, of course not. And at, at least what is nice to hear this time is, is a talking head. And maybe, maybe he's lying. Maybe he's misleading people like me who, who say, Hey, this sounds good for a change. But instead of, instead of spending $8 trillion in sandy parts of the world where they want to kill us all, why don't we spend a few trillion here to rebuild all of our infrastructure? That sounds good. Not the right way to go about it. Maybe, but it's, it, we're, I think we're way beyond the, the land of make believe. Can we do anything with these numbers right now? I mean, I, I it, you know, another billion here, another trillion here. I mean, yeah, it, it adds up to real money, but how can you take any of it seriously? You can't. Um, it's it's suicidal. I think we alluded to this on either the last episode or two episodes ago. Um, the way that you know that Trump is completely unserious, that all of these people are completely unserious about all of this, is the fact that they think that they can just, you know, inflate their way out of this print print money to to 
to solve any problems. They're not. They're just they're just guaranteeing and and hastening what we all know. Again, all of us who have eyes to see and can see what's what's clearly right in front of you. Um, that this is going to lead to complete and total economic collapse. You are going to have hyperinflation. And this is why I wrote the piece and why, and I suspect that what, if any of them have any sort of a plan at all, it the plan is, is that they think they're going to be able to keep, um, keep the lid on inflation by controlling the velocity of money. And the velocity of money is people spending money, dollars turning over. How many times per year does a given dollar turn over in the economy? Um, and if you look at the equation um, for for money supply, velocity, um, and then prices, what what is what the teeter totter aspect of that is? What you have to do if if you're increasing the the money supply as as they are, I think they're doing. I think at this point they're at a hundred billion a day is the last I saw, um, which is just <laughs> it, it's it's unbelievable. Um, so they're they're wildly wildly increasing the M, the monetary supply. They think the way that they're going to offset offset that with the teeter totter is that they're going to control velocity, and what that means is that they're not going to let anybody spend any money. So, see, it's a completely different, and this is why. Ugh, hold on, I got to make a note, make sure I come back to velocity, but I have to make a tangent here. This is why I keep talking about, and I've been talking about for years. This business with people yelling and screaming and saying. Unless there is a direct historical precedent, well, we don't know what to do. There's nothing we can do. Um, this is this is so effeminate. This is such a function of the effeminacy in this culture. Um, what was I? Oh, there's there's a movie clip, and we'll put this in the uh, in the show notes that that exemplifies this concept, and it's from the movie Apollo 13, which. Um, you know, it's Ron Howard and it's Hollywood and all that, but we all know, we all know what happened with, with Apollo 13. That was the moon mission where they had the, the explosion. And so the scene is, is that, um, what's his name? I, I think his name is Cernan, the, the flight director. He's, he's called everybody into this meeting room and said, look, here's the situation. Here's what we've got to do. What do we do? Do we turn the thing around right here, do 180, do about face and come right back home? Or do we go and, you know, do a slingshot around the moon and come back home? And, you know, they all start yelling, rah, rah, rah. Half of them think one, half of them think the other. And they're talking about the lunar module, which um, one of the one of the big aerospace firms has built. And I think it's Grumman. And they're talking about the lunar module and what can the lunar module do. And he looks and he, he looks at the Grumman engineer, the lead Grumman engineer, and says, can the lunar module do this? And the Grumman engineer says, look, we designed that thing to land on the moon. We didn't design it to do X, Y, and Z that you're asking about. And the flight director gets angry and says, well, we're not landing on the moon, are we? 
So we need to just scrap all that and put that to the side. And you need to start thinking outside the box here. Exactly. Exactly. Quit this effeminate whining. Well, I don't know. We don't have any precedent. We didn't, we didn't run any tests on this. Look, sweetheart, this shit is going down and it's real and it is completely and totally unprecedented in all of human history. There is nothing, absolutely flipping nothing in human history that has any informative value for any of this. Nothing. So somebody is going to have to start using their brain and act like a man and execute some leadership and think on your feet, formulate a plan, and then and then execute that plan in real time without having some damn guidebook handed to you saying, oh, look, in the year... 1107, this, this happened. And so this is how we get out of this. This is unprecedented man up. We're going to have to figure this out from scratch ourselves in real time and damn well better get it right. Well, and even if there was a formula for what worked in 1107, that was for the, the circumstances and exigencies of the time. And probably if you're going to take any lesson from what happened there is that somebody stood up, took charge and got something done. Well, exactly. Someone always stands up and leads. Who are the great men of history? The great men of history are the men who stand up usually in a war situation, which is what this is. Let's not beat around the bush. This is an act of war by the deep state in in direct... um, concert with Bill and Melinda Gates and that whole cadre and whether or not the Chinese communists are are active allied players in all of this we'll find out but this is war this is 100% war Bill Gates is a non-state non-uniformed enemy belligerent this is full out war and so men are going to have to rise up And they're going to have to think on their feet and look at the tactical situation as it is, look at the economic situation it is um, of what they're doing. And so back to velocity, they think they're, they're printing all this money, a hundred billion a day. They're just destroying everything. They're completely destroying the equation. They think, they think that the way that they're going to keep hyperinflation from happening is that because they have the ability, they think they have the ability to do this now, um, the reason that hyperinflation would happen is because there was cash or there was there was metal money, there was gold, there was silver coinage, and that was the medium of exchange. And so people would run out and, you know, they would they would spend their money as fast as they could because inflation was happening and you had to get rid of the money and turn it into food or a hard commodity as fast as you possibly could. This is what happened in in Weimar, Germany. This is Zimbabwe. This is Venezuela. What these asses think they're going to do is that they are going to completely control 
the velocity. They're going to institute through the, the false paradigm of vaccination. They're going to they're gonna institute what, what, is, what is the mark of the beast. And they will control your ability to spend money. So you won't be able to spend but $100 a day, let's say. Um, you'll be tracked. And if, if, you know, the microchip that is in your hand, not that any of you would ever, ever, ever allow anyone to put a microchip in you or anyone else, because, you know, our Lord and Savior in the Gospels specifically says, don't even, don't even um, die first. But what they think is they're going to, they're going to get this body-based tracking they will follow you into Costco or Sam's Club or or Safeway or whatever it is, and you will only be permitted to spend X number of dollars in there. And so they're gonna they're they think that they're gonna be able to keep the lid on inflation, so they can print all this money that they want. But if they if nobody can spend it, and that's also the lockdowns doing that too. If nobody's spending any money, well, there's you're not gonna see this price inflation. So now, I mean, it, and it just gets, it goes from bad to worse. And I'm, we're going to get into this. We're going to get into what happened with the price of crude oil going negative and all that. And the, 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 the incredible catastrophic precedent that that sets up. But let's conclude this point. Do you have anything else that you want to say? Well, talking about inflation or lack of inflation due to everyone being at home and not shopping, that's baloney. If you've looked at anything on, well, not anything, if you've looked on Amazon, uh, or eBay. I mean, shoot, toilet paper was selling for $1,000 a roll at one point. Well, listed for $1,000 a roll on eBay. And that was pretty funny. But uh, some of the more serious items, like for example, we're all working from home. Now, granted, I'm in a field where I've been able to work from home for years as it was, but I've never had a setup specifically for long-term working from home and uh, specifically working at a, a place where they would like you to uh, turn on your webcam, which webcams on laptops are horrible. You cannot buy a, a decent quality webcam right now. They sold out within days on Amazon. Mm. They're backordered. Um, the Logitech 922X, that's not even coming back maybe until June. They they can't even ramp up the, the production facilities for a while there in China because everything was shut down because of COVID. Um, the connectors to connect, say, a camcorder to a computer to do image capture, those sold out immediately. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's interesting that the things that uh, that just disappeared almost overnight, Amazon has got some crazy game going on where they, they only guarantee delivery for things now a month out, uh, which if you're a Prime subscriber and you're supposed to be able to get two-day shipping on things that are Prime, how is that not a breach of contract? I'm sure they'll argue force majeure and they probably win that point, but still. Um, in terms of of, uh, of not having um, uh, inflation or deflation, I, somebody asked, uh, sent an email, and I, I forwarded this to you. Are we going into are we going into deflation, and what should we do as a result of it? And I posed the question when I forwarded the email. Wait a minute, are we going into inflation with all the trillions we're doing, or can we do both at the same time? Does it just depend on the market you're going into? For it's example, both at the same time, yeah. Right in your wheelhouse, the USDA is getting ready to shut down a whole bunch of meatpacking plants. Exactly. The, Smith, the Smithfield plants are being closed down right now, which are owned by the Chinese, interestingly enough. Yep. But uh, apparently, if if you have the chance to buy pork, um, do it now, because I think the pork uh, pork supply in the U.S. market is about to go to zero. Unfortunately, yeah. just in time for Ramadan, by the way. But um, 
the, the you know stand by for that to happen and beef and and chicken and other other things like that apparently meatpacking and covid spread go go together quite nicely well i mean you know it's a it's a cold and so yeah you would expect that in meatpacking plants in office buildings anywhere that people schools anywhere that people are congregated in any numbers because it's a cold colds go around and and yeah they're going to get them so someone in a meatpacking plant um gets this cold and they say oh these tested positive well now we have to we have to shut down the entire plant we have to destroy all of the meat that's inside of the plant now talking about your inflation and deflation at exactly the same time paradigm this is this is the perfect example so here's what's here is what is happening because all of the meat packing plants are shutting down the price of retail meat ready for consumption is going through the roof at exactly the same time because there is no outlet to to slaughter animals and almost no one there's almost no one left there's literally a few hundred guys in North America who have the skill set to and and the equipment to process animals on you know on site on a farm let's say it, it um, takes a little bit more than a buck knife takes a little bit more than that absolutely and so um at exactly the same time while the price of meat is going through the roof at the grocery store because the people who actually have cattle and um hogs but in the the thing about the hog industry is it's completely vertically integrated so there aren't any farmers that have hogs anymore they're all corporately owned from the second they're born, they're they're born into a corporation. They stay in a corporation the whole way. And I would rail against this at my cattle marketing schools and say, you've got to do the, one of the reasons that you ranchers, you cattlemen need to be profitable and successful is because you have to stand in the breach and not permit the cattle industry to become vertically integrated so that cattle are just owned by a corporation all the way through. We have to have private ownership of these animals. And then they're killed at a, at a packing house in the United States. Um, so all the guys who have animals, that market is deflating, is dropping wildly because there's nowhere to go with them. There's nowhere to take them to be slaughtered in any, in even anywhere near the capacity that's necessary. Um, and and to a large extent, they are um, they they have an expiration date on them. Yeah, I mean you can keep cattle. Cattle give you the most flexibility. You can keep cattle around for a while, the quality goes down. I mean, there's a, there's a sweet spot window where they're at their best, um, when they, they're at their best to be killed in order in, in terms of yield and the quality of the meat. But I mean, beggars can't be choosers at this point. You do have more flexibility with cattle, but if they're in a feed yard, you're going to have to get them out of the feed yard and you're going to have to kick them out on grass. And there's only so much grass. And then you, you do need grass for the, for cows, calves, they're called stalker cattle, the small cattle that are still eating grass and haven't gone to the feed yard yet. All of those markets are are deflating while the price of meat is going through the roof. And so you're it's just this one-two punch. You're going to end up to where for absolutely no reason, absolutely no reason, 
because of a cold and because the people on the television told us this, there's not going to be any damn food. There's not going to be any meat. Um, I don't know where in the hell people think vegetables are going to come from. Um, they've been trying to completely eliminate the vegetable production in Central California for a long time. And this is this is going way towards that. I've already read stories that um, large swaths of, of vegetable planting and production in California is being plowed under because the nobody has any ability to to get the stuff harvested anything like that i i think americans are about to get a real big lesson on coming back down to earth in terms of where in the hell is your food coming from um people people honestly think and people are again so diabolically disoriented and made stupid by sin that they just think that all of this produce just it just magically comes from the grocery store and no it doesn't a, a hell of a lot of it comes from california that's being plowed under um and then a hell of a lot of it comes from south america from chile lots of your i mean the fact that you can eat that you can have strawberries in in january things like that you know that's all because we're bringing enormous amounts of produce in from south america that's all going to stop um yeah, people are about to get a very harsh lesson in all of this. And how can markets be going up on one side and straight down on the on the other? Well, when you interrupt supply chains like this, and again, just making sure everybody remembers, this is completely self-inflicted and unnecessary. But when you destroy and interrupt supply chains like this, well, that's what you get. And it's also, um, you know, in terms of what you were talking about before, in terms of electronics and the stuff on Amazon and all that, where the hell do you think the vast, vast, vast majority of that stuff came from? Came in through the ports of Los Angeles, Oakland, Portland, and Seattle, my friends. That's where a lot of that crap comes from. And that's not going to be coming anymore. So, well, and more we specifically, it's coming from China. And Apple was one of the first big um, manufacturers uh, in the tech industry to say, we are going to take a hit because this is affecting our supply chains. This will be pushing back. They, of course, Apple's not never specific about future product announcements, but they said this is going to uh, impact uh, our, our, how do they word it? Something along the lines of what we plan to announce later this year. And, and uh, well, yeah, nobody can go to work and in, in, in the <laughs> over there in China to build stuff right now, which they probably like. They don't have to commit suicide now because of the conditions. Yeah, I mean, I what is this, the status of China? I think I think China is almost entirely open. I read something I don't know about forty eight hours ago that they had maybe shut down one city, which for them that's nothing, you know, but. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure what their status is, but it's 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 going to be an absolute disaster. And again, been saying this for years, years and years and years and years. The American economy has has already been destroyed in a certain sense because there's really not a whole lot that is actually physically produced in the United States. Oh, there's another thing. So going back to food and and. Um, I didn't even realize the extent of this, but it's it's terrifying. The amount of like frozen chicken nuggets and frozen vegetables. 
I, I don't even begin to understand how this can possibly be economically feasible. But a lot of the frozen meat products and frozen vegetable products, if the stuff was grown in the United States, they would put it on barges, send it across the Pacific, have it processed in Chinese plants, and then sent back over. Now, again, I don't pretend to understand how that can possibly make any financial sense, but that's the situation. So even if you have quote unquote American poultry make going into your chicken nuggets, it is conceivably possible that those chicken that those chicken nuggets were actually processed and made and packaged in China and then sent back over. I mean, this is this is insanity. This is insanity. You have an entire economy that's, you know, 300 million people and hardly anybody is actually producing anything physical. Everything is just this, this service economy of which, and I think a lot of people are, you know, coming, coming to grips with the reality of the fact that their job, their career, whatever it is, is completely, totally unnecessary. Just completely unnecessary. And, um, you know, that's why you can have all these mass layoffs. I mean, in, in, a, in an economy that was healthy, where, you know, textiles were being produced, where steel was being produced, where all of these raw materials and commodities, you know, that go into actually producing things, if those were being produced in the United States, there wouldn't be nearly, nearly the employment hit that this is going to be. But, I mean, when your job is that you're a... I don't know. There's so many things that you can think of that are just so completely unnecessary. Um, redundant customer service rep or, you know, well, and, you know, obviously don't don't get us started on stupid college degrees like um, women's studies and all of this crap, you know, it's just it's just abject garbage. What, what do you do? Um, well, I waste time and get paid for it. I mean, that that's basically summing up a goodly, goodly percentage of the American workforce. I waste time and get paid for it. And a lot of times it's directly tied to some sort of basically government welfare project. Another, another context that I've written and talked about before um, in terms of government welfare projects is basically the... Um, the military contracting industry, you know, aerospace and all of that. I had a friend years ago who was in that and he said, look, there's at least, at least 10 levels of middle management, each level getting paid a salary well north of $100,000 a year, well north of $100,000 a year. And every single one of those 10 levels is completely and totally unnecessary. It is a welfare project from the U.S. government that's basically populating the suburban American landscape. You know, Highlands Ranch, Colorado is basically a giant government welfare project with the money being funneled through the, the military and aerospace contracting industry. So what if your entire career is now one of these, whether it's in aerospace or whatever it is, if you're some middle manager and you are just, you're just completely unnecessary, 
Well, I think that that redundancy is is going to be made manifest here pretty quick. Well, so. Go back and look what, when Boeing made the 747. I don't think they had 11 or 20 layers of management to get it done. I think they nope. were pretty lean and they were betting the company and we still can't build an aircraft like that. That good. That's right. Exactly right. Well, well that's, hey, and that's. Look at, that's, look at, look at Skunk Works and the SR, uh, the SR-71. There are modern aerospace, aerospace people saying, how the heck did they do this before computers? Yeah. I've been, you know, there's all kinds of um, things about the space program and, and you just look on YouTube and you just look at those things and just shake your head and say, how in the world did they do that and do it in, in less than 10 years. And they're, they're making everything up, inventing everything as they go and look what they achieved. And I hit, it is precisely because of this massive middle management, um, uh, redundancy situation it's precisely because of that that we can't do these these projects anymore. It's precisely because of that that you know the Boeing seven thirty seven Max that that whole mess has happened. And now Boeing is probably is Boeing is probably going to be nationalized and bailed out in a, in scare quotes um, because of all of this. Um, why in the hell did a, a an outfit like Boeing even get to that point? Well, it's precisely because they've got 10, 12 levels of management and they ended up with, with a plane that nosedives into the ground that nobody can fix, that nobody can fix. I mean, well, it's, the way it's, it was explained to me by somebody who uh, knows a little bit about the history of Boeing and McDonald who acquired them or was part of the merger is that Boeing used to be an, a company run by engineers. And then when they merged with McDonald, one of the things they they decided to adopt was McDonald's way of doing everything by accountants. Accountants accountants would run that that uh, that company and make decisions that overrode what the engineers would say. Mm-hmm. And that's really what happened in the the seven thirty seven Max. As far as you know, from from what I've heard from a couple of people, is that the engineers were not the primary decision makers. Because the engineers were saying this isn't right, this this will fail, mm-hmm. lives will be lost, and those people were I will use a different word. They were sent to different parts of the company or released. Mm-hmm. They were they were trying to build a seven thirty seven like plane for cheap and and build it to seven fifty seven we we covered it before. It it, it was a whole yeah. mess. And it's because the engineers weren't running the program. Well, exactly. It's and it's shades of Morton Thiokol and the Challenger. Those guys were literally screaming at the top of their lungs the night before that launch, saying, "If you do this, you will kill those people." And one of the one of the the lead engineers at Thiokol went home to his wife that night. She said, "How's your day, honey?" And he said, "Oh, great. We we just sealed the death warrants on seven astronauts, but other than that, it was great." That all those engineers, those guys knew, absolutely, totally knew what was going to happen to the Challenger. And of course, they were all overridden because the last people, because of that culture, the people who have the competence and the people who are actually doing things remain at the bottom rung. And for some bizarre reason, they just start throwing promotion packages at 
competent people, you know, they say, well, we got to advance him into this, into this tier, this wedding cake tier of, of middle management. And if you're a, if you're an engineer and, you know, corporate is saying, well, we'd like to move you up, give you a new box of business cards and move you up from making, you know, a buck 40 to, um, we can move you up to where within five years you'll be making 275. Well, almost everyone is going to take the 275 in the box of business cards. And then what happens is they stop doing productive work and they just start becoming head cases and getting in the way and, and, and it, even not in a, in a, in a malicious way at all. It's just, you know, the old saying, too many cooks spoil, spoil the broth. You know, if you've got that many people just messing around with something, you're going to get wires crossed. You're going to get things mixed, missed, and you're going to end up with a 737 max. So there you go. Hopefully, you know, add it to our list of good things that can come out of this. Um, hopefully a reformation of, of corporate culture in that sense, but, oh man, it's just, it's just another one of those things that you look at and say, how bad is it going to have to get? How bad is it going to have to get to displace the people who are currently in power and make massive reformations to entire massive paradigmatic reformations? I mean, it's, and the answer is, and hate to be bearer of bad news, but we aren't even, we aren't even close to it being that necessarily bad yet. You're going to yeah, have just, to get. Just like the financial markets were cleaned up and people went to jail after the, the housing crisis in 2008. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just exactly like that. Yes. Yeah, John Corzine. I think his body is still hanging from that bridge somewhere. Yep. Yep. Oh, wait. <laughs> no, he's, he's running for secretary of treasury. What? No, he, he's he's part he's part of whatever team is going to take over from uh, Sleepy Joe when 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 people realize oh, that, that he's course, in. Oh, yeah, that, oh, oh, wouldn't that be? Wouldn't that just be? <laughs> yeah, President Melinda Gates and Secretary of Treasury John Corzine. Yeah. All the rumors I'm hearing is that it'll be Michelle Obama and Hillary. Uh, that Michelle's going to come in as the VP selection, and then magically they're going to figure out Joe's got medical issues. We he needs to step aside. Well, okay, Michelle, you're going to step to the front of the ticket. Maybe we need a second person, and Michelle's going to demur and say, "I I want to live." Hillary can be the first person. Yeah, I want to live. That's right. I was going to say Hillary does not share power. Isn't that a Lord of the Rings quote? Um, who does not share power? Yeah, uh, Sauron does not share power. Exactly. Could um, be. I'm not a Lord of the Rings person. I was trying to think if that was a Sith saying from Star Wars, but I don't know. I'd say it might be in both. Well, it's, it's a universal concept anyway. Um, but yeah, um, Uncle, Uncle Sleepy Joe ain't, ain't going to be on any ticket at any time. Uh, so I'll tell you what would be a fascinating pay-per-view and I might even pay to see this just out of morbid curiosity is a spelling bee between Joe, uh, uh, between Joe Biden and, uh, and Al, Al Sharpton. Sharpton. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> terrible, terrible. Uh, all we can do is laugh. Speaking of negative, you made the mention that, uh, oil has gone negative. I heard something on a podcast that it's not that the price of oil, you know, at the pump or, or the, 
or the actual exchange, it's the futures contracts that when when the when they talk yeah. about the price going up and down, it's the futures contracts because there's a glut of oil in, in the in the market right now. Everybody's been snapping it up at these really low rates, and now nobody needs it because nobody's driving. Hello, we've been at home for six weeks. Um, what are we going to do with all the oil? Well, it's coming out it? of the ground. I mean, we've the U.S. Is, has gotten after it in the last decade in terms of domestic oil production, and you've still got the oils coming out of the ground. And an interesting thing, which I think a lot of people don't know, is I think, well, you know, why don't why don't they just turn those those wells off? Why don't they just you know shut them down? They can't. If, they can't because once you start that suction and you've got that pressure think of it it's like a siphon you know you've got it coming up you're pumping it up out of the ground and you've got that that inertia if you turn that thing off all you're going to lose that pressure and that inertia and then it's going to the oil that should be coming up is going to fall way back down into all of that empty void, whether it be an actual void or whether it be, you know, um, in shale or whatever it is, whatever it is that you're doing. The, the, you've already pulled oil out of the ground, so there's void down below. What? So you're going to cut all that off and it's going to fall back down and you're not going to be able to restart it. Uh, restarting it is going to be like, well, first of all, you have to wait years, and then it'll be like essentially drilling a new well. So you can't turn them off. You can't just cut the supply. The issue is there's nowhere to store it. All crude oil storage is just is full. There is nowhere to go with this stuff. And so once again, it's all coming everything just keeps circling back around the Chicago Mercantile Exchange Group. My old nemesis pulled, pulled part two, part two of their, how can we screw everything up as hard as we possibly can? So in um, late October, basically Halloween of 2011, they screwed the markets up so bad that I woke up, looked at the news, didn't shed a single tear, didn't hesitate, just looked at what they had done and said, well, this is no longer possible to continue doing. And said, well, I'm going to have to, I've got about 350 open accounts, better start calling people. And that's exactly what I did and shut everything down. What they did in 2011 to completely destroy everything is that they cooperated in John Corzine stealing 1.6 billion and didn't fulfill their their existential their their raison d'etre, their reason for being. Why do exchanges even exist? They they exist to be the universal counterparty and the universal guarantor, so that if something happens, like a firm failure, and what Corzine, I mean, MF Global wasn't just a firm failure, it was Corzine stealing all of the customer funds. And it, it, that's not, this again, this had never happened before. No one had ever done that before. No one had the, had the stones to do that before. Um, no, one had the, no one had the connection to do that before. Um, so what should, what should the CME group have done when this happened, when, you know, you wake up and every customer account in MF global, every single customer account has a zero balance. 
all the money's gone. The, the CME should have stepped in and essentially just taken over the firm and said, we're, we're guaranteeing all of this. It was $1.6 their slush fund at the time, their emergency slush fund for exactly that contingency was $8.5 billion. Corzine stole $1.6 billion. So they could have done it without even breaking a sweat. And then they would have owned MF Global. And then what they would have done, what they should have done, is then sold it off piecemeal. You know, this, this company takes the agricultural business. This company gets the petroleum business. This company gets the Forex business and just sold it off piecemeal. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. Because, oh, if we do that, um, it'll establish a precedent. What the hell are you talking about? It'll establish a precedent. It's what you exist to do. It's why there is an exchange in the first place. So they completely destroyed the markets. And, you know, and then the, <laughs> the icing on the cake was not even allowing the customers to liquidate their positions. And what this is going to come back around. This is also germane and it's, it's related to this. Um, so the customers have these positions on, a lot of them are hedges because they had a lot of agricultural business and hedging and other commodities too. And these customers come in and all of their money is gone. The account balance is zero, but all of their positions are still on and open. And the CME group won't let anybody liquidate anything. They won't even let them get out. So they've got these positions on, the market is moving against them. So the customers are called with a margin call, not only for all of the money that John Corzine stole from them, but also margin calls on these positions that are moving against them. Um, and, you know, that's half of them were moving against them. Law of averages, half of the open positions were losing money on any given day, half of the open positions would make money on any given day. Um, but the, the people who are losing money say, I can't meet the margin call. You've stolen all my money. I'm not sending you any more money. I don't have it anyway. You've, you've, you've stolen all of my operating cash. And um, now you're telling me that I, I'm incurring losses and you won't even let me get out of the position. This, this is abject madness. Madness. And so... This is, I look at this and say, well, we're done. Better start calling people. I can't, I'm not going one more day in this. There is no way. Okay. So now flash forward. What did the CME group do a few business days ago? They permitted the spot month crude and actually all of the petroleum contracts. And I posted on the website, I'm still on their, e on their email list. So I get all of the CME, um, you know, flashes and notifications and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I see this notification come into my email box and it says there, there will be no limits, no movement limits on spot month petroleum contracts and, and, um, contracts can trade negative. And I looked at that and was just like, no, you have got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. Then Denninger jumps all over this and he makes his post. The, the, I mean, you think MF Global was bad. You, you think that was bad. This allowing these commodity prices to trade negative, not, you know, stopping it at zero, as you would think. Folks, you got to think through what this means. You're, if you're long something, 
if you're long a futures contract, your risk is not capped and it's not bounded at zero in any way. You have you are now exposed to theoretical infinite risk being long something, owning something. Now, there's always been theoretical unlimited risk being short because if you're short, the market can in theory move up infinitely against you. That's mathematics. That that makes sense. Everybody's fine with that. This business of saying if you own something that your risk is not bounded at zero and that you can say, for example, okay, crude oil is collapsing and you buy a contract of crude oil at five bucks. How, how much in, in normal sane, um, I guess sane is the only word I can think of, in a sane world, can you lose? Well, you can only lose the five. The, your risk is bounded from your purchase price at five down to zero. And if you think about it, this is true for anything. What's the most you can lose on a house if you buy a house? If you buy a $250,000 house, where is your risk bounded? It's theoretically bounded. It's, it's bounded at zero. How in the hell can can you you know, prices go negative? Well, now- Well, property the, tax. So the, the county will take that out of you one way or another. Well, but I mean, we're talking about the 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 asset value itself. Um, now, what has happened with the CME doing this, and the the thought is, is this is now going to start cascading through all of these different commodities, where they've lifted. It's not. It's not that they've even lifted a boundary. They have created a paradigm that that is actually morally impossible and should be morally impossible. And and Deniger's point is when you do things like this, it, it only ends in bloodshed and war. That's the only way it ends. And he's absolutely right. So let's think it through if this were to trickle into, let, let's say, the residential real estate market. This is why I've been telling people, for the love of God, get out of debt, pay off your mortgage. It, it can't protect you, even having not having a mortgage. As Super Nerd just said, you're still going to have, if you live in a state with property taxes, there's still all that. But goodness gracious, it's going to buy you a hell of a lot of time to not be tangled up with a bank or a lender of any sort. Let's say you've got a $250,000 house. And now with this crap going on, um, asset values are permitted to go negative and be booked as negative and valuated as negative. You could let and let's say that you've um, let's say that you've got fifty thousand in equity in your house. Just using round figures here, okay? So you've got you've got a house that you purchased for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. You got fifty grand in equity. That means you've got a two hundred thousand dollar mortgage or balance on a mortgage. Okay, the entire thing collapses, and you and you're thinking to yourself, well, what's the worst that can happen? The valuation goes to zero. I just keep, I'm going to, I can keep paying the mortgage. I can keep paying the mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. Well, first of all, it go, if, it, if it goes to zero, if it collapses, the bank is going to be after you. The bank is going to be saying, you know, we need more. We need this. We need that. Um, right. Because and, they're really big fans of marking the market on everything. Well, yeah. <laughs> but they, they have that leverage over you. And that's where we get back to scripture and Proverbs, where it says that um, the borrower is the lender's 
slave. And it's absolutely true. They've got you. Um, you need to understand that, you know, you could be called any, any note, any loan, any mortgage can be called at any time. Um, now what if it, what if valuations go negative and you go to Zillow and you see that because of complete societal collapse, the value of your house is now negative $50,000. Meaning even if you owned it outright, you would have to pay somebody $50,000 to take it. How do, how, what, what is your bank going to do? Well, they're, they're going to be looking, somebody's going to be looking to get after you and, and, and get some sort of a increased, um, get your equity position increased by, I don't know, garnishing your wages. I, I don't even, I don't even know again, because this is all completely, um, this is all completely unprecedented, just thinking through how this would even look. But, you know, the notion that there are a lot of Americans out there who, who think that they're, they're relatively minuscule percentage of equity in their homes is somehow some sort of a protection and buffer could be gone literally gone tomorrow all of the all of the value of the house could go and then because of what the CME did a few days ago allowing commodities to trade negative and i think the the crude traded as low as negative $65 a barrel um, and so what happens is um, another thing I think a lot of people don't understand about back to the futures markets is they think, well, there's delivery arbitrage and that would that would all just settle all of that out. Right. Well, they're they're for most of these contracts, they're not deliverable anymore. A lot of them are cash settled. And so what that means is that they settle to an index, which is basically whatever the exchange says the price is to settle it to. And, um, so there isn't even a way for, you know, someone to, a speculator to come into the market and try to arbitrage and, and drive those price spreads back together. There isn't even a way to do that because so much of it is cash settled. Um, and so there's, and if it happens in the real estate market, it'll be a similar thing. It will be almost impossible to, to arbitrage these, these relationships that are so completely out of whack. Why? Because these markets have gone so completely synthetic. And who are the players? And when you're talking about the futures markets, the players aren't hedgers and you know cattlemen and, and farmers like even just the 20 years ago when I started my career. Um, it's all computers now. And I talk about that in my economics video presentation and why that's so dangerous. And now that's coming to a head. Who are the players in the real estate market? All who, who's, who's basically the one and only underwriter of most mortgages in the United States today. It goes to the government. It goes to Fannie and Freddie. So you have a completely disordered, disjointed market where arbitrage again would be impossible um, and so you can't even there, the, the mechanisms, the relief valves and the mechanisms by which, um, economies that get into, get into troublesome out of whack situations 
like this, except we, you know, we're orders of magnitude bigger, obviously, but just any sort of disjointed situation, there, there have always been these release valves and these ways for these things to come back into balance and rebalance. It doesn't happen overnight, but you know, it is a good thing that that people can step in and and speculation can occur and because it drives the spreads back together to something that's coherent and rational and logical all of those things have basically been eliminated now over the past 20 25 30 years with all of this crap that's happened in the financial markets and you once again i find my ju- myself just sitting here shaking my head saying satan you bastard you set this you set this chess this chessboard to uh near perfection but there i mean there's always going to be an out but um he's, he's put us in check again. And, you know, we, we went into it ourselves, obviously, but it's all, it's all part of a grand overarching scheme to just destroy as many, as many people as possible and destroy as much human life as possible and scandalize as many people as possible. And what I mean by scandalize is causing people to lose their faith and, you know, extraordinarily, extraordinary economic hardships, um, societal collapse like this, um, it's, it kind of goes back also to what I've been writing about for years about the, uh, that Protestant heresy of at the end times, there being a rapture. And so all of these, all of these Protestants running around who believe in this rapture nonsense, um, now that this is happening and now that they're losing everything overnight, you know, losing businesses. And it, if it eventually gets to the point where there are people starving in the streets and, and there's no healthcare available and so on and so forth. Um, these people who have fallen for this rapture scam are going, are going to be scandalized. They're going to lose their faith because they were, they were told and they thought that Jesus was going to come and get them and that nothing bad would happen to them that they would be raptured away. And, and it's, it's not limited to that either. I mean, it's Catholics too. You even see it amongst the, the trad Inc people who are just saying, why should I even be Catholic and saying things like that on the internet? And it's just, Oh, it's, it's sickening. It's absolutely sickening, but it's, it's all part and parcel of this massive overarching satanic plot that he's had that this massive intellect Lucifer hatched, um, you know, before, before even, even Adam and Eve fell. I mean, he knew what he was going to do and he knew how he was going to go after us. And it's all, it's all playing out. Yeah. It's not happy. Um, and the, the, the worst part is we're, we're not even close to, to the, to the real final show yet. Oh uh, no. It's, this isn't, I, I question whether or not this is even the real dress rehearsal yet. Uh, uh, there's such a confluence of events though, such an incredible confluence of events with everything in Rome. And I don't know. I, I, I think, um, I, I encourage people to operate with the mindset that, you know, the big supernatural show could happen at absolutely any time. And the reason I say that is because it, it, incentivizes people or, or impresses upon people the, the criticality of staying, staying confessed and staying in a state of grace. And if you are not in the church and you are wanting to get into the church, 
as you should, <laughs> you should be doing that as quickly as you can. Um, I know I'm in contact with some people who were supposed to be received into the church at the Easter Vigil this year. And of course, that didn't happen. And in fact, one uh, awaiting baptism, awaiting baptism and debating and going back and forth, whether or not the husband, who's also being received into the church, but the husband's baptized, and debating whether or not, you know, the, whether the husband should just go ahead and baptize the wife now, um, or do you wait? Is this is this the divine providence allowing perhaps a, a, a superior liturgical setting, you know, where maybe maybe this woman could be baptized in the old right? Well, I don't know. Do you do you game it? Do you not? Do you go ahead and baptize? Do you not? You know, so. Um, just the, the thing to remember is that God, God is not a jerk and he understands. And, um, and boy, talk about, talk about the Feniites getting it handed to them right now. I mean, baptism of desire, that's a legit serious thing that is playing out <coughs> in real time right now for a non-trivial number of people around the world who were, who were ready, willing, on the calendar to be, to be received into the church at the Easter vigil and weren't, um, what happens to them if they were to drop dead or, you know, be in a car crash or whatever, <coughs> excuse me. Um, what do you think? How do you think our Lord would handle that at their, at their particular judgment? The Feniites are unsound on this question. I can tell you that right now. St. Emerentiana, pray for us. And our two or three Feniite listeners will probably email us about this too. Oh yes, they and always it, do. They'll it, email anyway. <laughs> well, I, I don't. I don't know if they. Well, I haven't seen any emails about that yet. But I, yeah, maybe we will now. <laughs> yeah. Go figure. On a Financial Friday podcast, there was something else that that uh, we we had talked about for the show. Now it's the whole idea of the Bill Gates sort of Damocles, and you kind of mentioned earlier the whole idea of getting a chip in your hand. I was thinking that. What if it's a two-stage thing? The I always thought that the mark of the beast to to the way it's referred to anyway in in um, apocalypse. And of course, I've mentioned this before numerous times. Whenever we're talking about predictions about the future, is that prophecies can only be understood in their conclusion. So it is it is entirely possible that it's a two-stage event where you it's potentially reasonable to take a vaccine or a chip of some sort, but the secondary stage of now you have to commit an objective sin against the faith to to be able to buy and sell mm, is a secondary I, thing. I don't know. I don't buy that. But I think, I think the gospels are so clear and our Lord is very clear in the gospels. You do not get that damn thing. You do not get that mark. Um, and with, in terms of Bill Gates and every indication is what I foresee that they're going to try to do unless this thing isn't tamped down. And I have to say that there's been within even the last 48 hours, um, there's been the protests are picking up um, people, more and more people every time Bill Gates opened his mouth. You look at comment threads under stories that are even in the in the worst of the media. And people are saying, who in the hell does this guy think he is? And, you know, using language considerably stronger than that, too. You know, giving suggestions to Bill and Melinda Gates as to where they could go and, and what they could do. Um, 
you, you so, mentioned before they want to be they want to have godlike power over yeah. us and and at the risk of uh, affecting the the audio of the podcast I'm sending you something to take a look at on your your wire messenger here mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned this before but this is the first time I've seen a photograph of this talking about the the uh, the protests that are happening this is a meme that is popping up more and more yeah with absolutely. regard to what you can do with your social distancing and, and PPE and all the rest. Well, and I'm glad you I'm glad you sent that. I'll, I'll we'll, let you describe it since we're talking about it, but we haven't said what it is. It's a young woman who looks to be in her early 20s, and she's holding a sign that says, my body, my choice, Trump 2020, but the emblem is a face mask with a, you know, with the Ghostbusters bar through it, the red circle with the bar. Um, absolutely. The, this whole face mask thing, and I, I've got to get back to the sort of Damocles of, of Gates, but just a quick digression on the face mask. The face mask thing, this thing is just a cold. It's it's nonsense. The ma- one of one of Super Nerd and I mutual friends sent um, both of us a meme that said, "If you believe that these face masks stop viruses, you also believe that your underwear stop your farts." And you know that's it's it's crude. And I'm going back and forth whether or not to post it on the blog, but it's one of those things that, first of all, it's completely true, and it drives home the point. And people remember it. I mean, as soon as I've as soon as I saw that thing, that thing was tattooed into my brain, and I haven't forgotten it. I mean, I already knew that to be true, but it's something. It's just a piece of rhetoric that really drives the point home, and it's completely true. Um, so the so whole back, face back mask- to Bill and Melinda. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I mean, the face mask thing is is pure psychological terrorism, trying to convince people that that being within being within eight feet of another human being is literally going to kill you. I mean, this is pure Luciferian terrorism, psychological terrorism, trying to get people to where they hate each other. And this is, this ties back into Bill and Melinda Gates. Well, I, I, do, wanna, about- I, do, I do want to make a quick point before yeah. we get back to Bill and Melinda Gates mm-hmm. is that uh, Americans are being singled out by the, by the WHO on this because they say six feet separation, but apparently in the Netherlands, the big thing is a meter and a half. That's five feet. What, what, what's the deal with us that we have to stay further apart and screw up our economy accordingly? Whatever. <laughs> Obesity. But, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's all non, it's all Obesity, BS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could be, it, you know, yeah. We are supersized in a lot yeah, of ways. We are supersized. <laughs> so back to Bill and Melinda Gates, and I'll see if I can find the, the audio clip and include this in the show notes, but the original name of the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation was the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation for population control and depopulation. Absolutely. They've, no question. They've spent yep. some money getting that scrub from the internet. But and and Billy's daddy was a very high-ranking person in Planned Parenthood. And, and I also said, found out since the last podcast that he, he was one of the uh, initial, um, not, not just an initial contributor, but I guess he gave Bill Gates a million dollars for starting Microsoft as his, as oh, his seed really? money. Well, I mean, it was like advanced inheritance kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I don't. I guess Bill might have paid him back or made him a, made a partial shareholder. I don't know how the, how the Gates family works. And honestly, I don't want to know how the Gates family works because it's probably it wasn't rather good. Satanic. It wasn't good. Yeah. But uh, no, he he had plenty of of cushioned seed money to get started with. Yep. Well, so what I think, if Bill and Melinda Gates are left unchecked, and let me reiterate that they are non-state, non-uniform enemy belligerents, and they should be treated as such, I would think that any county sheriff 
would have jurisdiction to arrest the two of them on site if they stepped into his county. That's, uh, and you know, there are probably people out there who are more, who are far better versed in that kind of law than I am. But um, it, it seems to me that don't underestimate the power of the county sheriff. The county sheriff is actually one of the most powerful men in in our culture. Um, and if I were a county sheriff, if that if that SOB and that witch wife of his step foot in my county, I think I would probably go and get them and Speaking hold them. Speaking of which, there was a big hit piece by um, John Oliver and um, whatever his show on HBO is, Last Week Tonight or Last Week Tonight, whatever whatever the name of the stupid show is. But he did a hit piece on sheriffs. And now that you mentioned, you know, the, the sheriffs can be a, a uh, reasonable possibility for being able to handle some of this stuff they're Mm -hmm. also being criticized for the fact that they are elected law enforcement and within a county they kind of are the head law enforcement agent oh they absolutely are they absolutely are unless they dabble uh, you know in in areas covered by the enumerated powers feds cannot go in there yep absolutely Uh, county sheriffs might might be they could pivot this potentially they need to get together and they need to organize and have each other's backs. But, you know, um, so what I think Bill and Melinda Gates are going to do talking about setting people up as, as at odds with everyone else and sowing suspicion and, you know, narking people out. I think what, what they'll do is they will hold the, the sword of Damocles of the internet over everyone's head and say, look, if we don't get a certain percentage of people with our microchip um, mark of the beast, fake, fake vaccine crap. If we don't hit percentage targets in your city, we'll cut, we'll turn the internet off. I think that might be where this is going. And you know, what is everybody addicted to? What would, what would literally cause people to be, you know, out in the streets, rending their garments, you know, scream, screaming into the sky. If you take their damn internet away from them and they can't play their stupid video games and they can't watch their stupid Netflix and they can't watch their porn. Uh, let's, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Um, uh, if you, if you threaten them with that, I think you'll have people falling into line saying even perhaps, perhaps even more so, or it would be connected to the, the entire financial and banking thing. You know, um, I think if you, I think that's what they will try to do if they're not stopped and they, they should be stopped tomorrow. They could be stopped tomorrow, but Again, you just got to, you know, be thinking about contingencies out in front, thinking about the tactical space, anticipating the enemy's next move. I think that's it. Hold that sword of Damocles over everybody and say, you all need to narc out your neighbors and you need to make sure that we get 90% chipped. Um, or, and if you don't, then I'll turn the we'll turn the internet off on the whole city, and we won't let you leave either. Which is completely backwards because if people are not taking the virus, you want them to stay home and be on the internet so they're not around other people. But you know what's logic got to do with this? Yeah, I mean it's it's any any means possible to coerce, um, because ultimately that's what all of this is about. It's about complete and total coercion, totalitarianism, and in order to get that established. You have to have this deal where everybody hates everybody else. Um, 
I've only been, I've only been chided. I have never ever worn a mask and I leave the house every day. Uh, and I've been chided by a person once and I just ignored them. I completely ignored them. And anytime it comes up, I completely say, I don't wear it because they don't do a damn thing. And it's a, it's a psychological terrorism. Um, and I am not going to live like this. And if you think about it, think about what this is doing, this whole face mask stupidity. Think about what the ramifications of this are going to be for all restaurants, anything like that. I mean, how how in the hell, how in the hell are you going to have restaurants where everybody has to have a damn mask on? That, That is madness. It's madness. This this crap has to be stopped now. And those masks don't do anything. And I mean, you and I, super nerd not and I have a mutual contact who's in the healthcare industry saying these things, a lot of this crap, I mean, you're you're rebreathing your own air. Um, it's it's not it's not good. Look at the seasonal curve for colds and flus, which by the way, oddly enough, Everybody on earth is tracking this, the normal seasonal flu season, including Sweden, who didn't do any lockdowns at all. It's all exactly the same. Why? Because all of this is based on exactly the same con and fraud as the environmental global warming crap is. All of this global warming and environmental crap stuff is operating on the false base premise that we can control this system and in terms of the environment, global temperatures, anything like that. Anybody with two brain cells to rub together knows that human beings simply, it's not possible. It is simply not possible for us to um, alter the global meteorological condition. Now, granted, in cities like Wuhan, where there's just horrific, they're just terrible air pollution. Well, sure, absolutely. But that's not a global meteorological condition. That's just dirt in the air in one city. Um, the notion, the false base premise, and it's, su- it's such a such a pompous, pompous lie that human beings can even do anything to control the weather. What's the number one driver of the weather? It's the sun. The number one driver of the weather on earth is the sun. There's nothing we can do about, there's nothing that we do that affects any of that. And even the globe in and of itself is such a ginormous system. There's nothing that we can do to, to alter that at all. And, you know, all these people who think that, you know, the, the shape-shifting lizard Jews who live in the underground civilizations are, are controlling the weather and all this. What, What are you thinking? Do you have any concept how big the earth is and how big the atmosphere is? Stop and think about what a cubic mile is. And then how I'm sorry, how many, how many million cubic miles is the is the atmosphere of the earth? Are you kidding me? You actually think that we can control that? It's exactly the same sort of false base premise with regards to a seasonal cold virus. This cannot be contained. By definition, it is not possible for hum- human beings in any way to contain 
a seasonal cold virus. The particles are too small. There are too many vectors of transference. What do you, are you going to kill all of the birds? You're going to have to kill all of the birds. You're going to have to kill all of the cats, all of the feral cats. You're going to have to kill all of the mice, obviously. You're going to have to somehow eliminate wind. There can no longer be any wind because wind is Hitler, um, because that carries it. Um, you, there is no way, there is no way to control this thing. God, how he engineered us, what did he give us so that we have a, a barrier that is stronger than this uncontrollable data set or, or situational set that, that exists in terms of something like a seasonal cold virus? It's called the human immune system. You cannot control this. At the general judgment, and for those who achieve the beatific vision, once you enter into the beatific vision, you know everything. You, you are inside of God, and so therefore you will have access to all kinds of information. Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm sure that we will be able to see and understand when we're inside of the beatific vision and our lives on earth are over is... <laughs> It's kind it's kind of funny to think about, but hey, remember that time that you got sick? Where did you get that? Well, you got it when you touched this and such. And it, I'm not even going to say doorknob or anything like that. It's going to be stuff that is so cosmically random that we're not, we're just going to be absolutely stupefied. Um, I'm it's reminded, when you set your phone on the desk that somebody else had touched, then you picked up your phone again and then you touched your face. Exactly. And, um, or the, I'm, I'm reminded of all the gross statistics that they put out every year about they, you know, they run tests on things like, um, bowls of peanuts and bars or bowls of potato chips and bars. And, um, you know, fecal contamination turns up on a lot of those samples. It, yes. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I've been in wine bars and places like that where there's, you know, a thing of chips sitting there on the table. And yeah, I mean, if you, uh, I'm human being. If you put some Doritos in front of me, I'm going to go for it. You know, um, I, I'm weak like that. We, we all are touching things and coming in contact with things in such incomprehensible, cosmically random ways. It is, it is madness, it is folly, and it is supremely arrogant to think that we can control something like a seasonal cold virus. That's precisely why Gates chose it. It's seasonal, so it's going to come back in the fall. Okay? You, Everybody just needs to start talking about this now. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, this damn thing is a cold. It's going to come back in the fall. We cannot let them, we cannot let them play this game, okay? And it is not controllable. Gloves, masks, everybody walking around with spray bottles of bleach. I mean, this is, it's insanity. You can't control this. Kill every animal. Kill, you know, eliminate wind. Um, well, if you kill no, all the animals, that's the vegan's uh, dream. If you kill all the animals, that's the vegan's dream? Well, I mean, okay, maybe not killing the animals, but we can't eat them. 
Well, no, I mean, you don't eat, you don't eat, well, I do eat pigeon on rare occasion when I, <laughs> when I have the opportunity. If you haven't tried pigeon ever in a, and it's usually only in kind of fancy restaurants, but if, if at some point in the future, if you've never had pigeon and you're in a fancy restaurant and you see it, give it a shot. It's actually quite tasty. But we're talking about street rat pigeons. Um, well, you don't eat that. Even the little, you know, blue jays, robins, um, sparrows, starlings, all of these things, all these little birds that are flitting around. What the hell do you think? What, what their, their feet are not, when they touch a surface, there's no contact there and so on and so forth. Every dog on the street running around. I've seen, I've, I'm now starting to see people putting masks on the dog. Uh, the poor dog. Oh, good grief. And, That's because you know, people don't have kids anymore and they, they yeah. define their identity through their, their pets. Yeah. And they want it. They want to think that they're taking care of something, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's the, the, the arrogance, it's just the arrogance, just as much as it's arrogant thinking that that mankind can um, control or alter the, the global meteorological situation. It's that level of arrogance to think that mankind can control a seasonal virus. It's not possible. It is simply not possible. Well, you made a, a talking about the sort of Damocles and possibly turning off the Internet. You made a point mm. that nobody knows anybody's phone numbers anymore. And you probably could yeah. extend that to saying email addresses. And one of the things I put in my my in the show notes is maybe download your contacts and print them out. Yeah. If, if something <laughs> like this comes to pass, maybe being able to look up on, you know, on, on that dead tree artifact called paper, what mm -hmm. somebody's phone number is. Well, okay. Now we're assuming that the phone systems work as well as, you know, if, if the internet's off, which may or may not be a, a, a logical thing to conclude. I don't know. I guess if you have the old AT&T twisted copper pair to your house, maybe you can do that. But anyway, it, it might be useful if whether or not you print it onto paper or not, download your contacts. You have no guarantee that Google will let you into your account ever again or yep. Facebook or Microsoft or whoever you're using for email. And if you have, have separated yourself from all these companies and have used other providers, you've had to figure out how to schlep your contacts around anyway. So you have gone through this, this practice of downloading your contacts and, and moving around, but you, it, it's good to, it's good to have if, if mm -hmm. you know, you've made that con you've made the comment that uh, if you can't, um, stand in front of something and, and um, protect it with an AR-15, it's not really yours. Mm -hmm. uh, for for information on an internet-based service, if it's not on a drive that you own that cannot be erased remotely, you don't really have it. Yeah. So for your email, if you're on Gmail, hey, they have the option to do what's called takeout to literally remove all, not remove, to get a copy of everything from, from their service, make a backup of it and pull it down and then you know, pull the plug, move to some other service. And go go to a go to a um, paper store. And man, when is the last time any of us had a paper contact booklet that you know the, the little one pocket pocket contact thing where you get a pen and you write down the person's name, their address, their phone number, their email address. Almost no one has that. No one has that anymore. Well, as um, long as you're going old school, go ahead and get a fountain pen to do that, to use with that yay. address book. There you go. There you go. Yep. So there's your, some tasks that you can do for the week. And you know, if you can't get to a store and buy a contact book, then make one, just make one. You can, if you have a, do you have a piece of, of loose leaf notebook paper, school notebook paper, 
Well, write it down, fold it up, stick it in your wallet. I'm making a note to put in the show notes how to make your own book binding. And this was something where somebody was was one of these great YouTube videos where people are really artsy and, and also are uh, demonstrating real skills that are not common anymore, like book binders. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that was a real art and that, well, practical and artistic at the same time that used to exist. But you just, in, in this video, it was kind of sped up, but they start with like a, a ream of, or maybe it wasn't even a full ream, but they just start with standard legal paper or A4 paper if you're not in the United States. And they fold it in half and and, and uh, make sheaves of these. I don't even know what the right terms is. But then they, they perforate them and, and bind, bind the sections with string and put stacks of these together and put actual binding with cardboard and then put mm-hmm. fabric over that. You know, this could be really cool. I mean, you're, you're at home right now. You've got some time to, to work yeah. on this. Um, it, it, you don't have to go get a, a book uh, as long as you're going to do this. I, I'm just thinking out loud. Maybe it's Maybe it's not appropriate. I don't know. Well, it's funny you should mention that because I had to have my 1962 Baronius Press hand missile rebound. It completely fell apart. And it's, it's not, it wasn't made in 1962. I bought it in 2008. Yeah, 2008. Um, so it was, how old was it? It was 11 years old. And it finally, that soft jacket that it has finally fell off. And I had to go and find a book binder. And just coincidentally, it wasn't far at all. And it was really, really interesting. And, and, you know, I wanted to keep, I didn't want to just get a new um, hand missile. I wanted to keep the one that I had because, you know, you have sentimental attachment to it. It's been lots of places with you. Um, It's got various, you know, dog ears and things and this, that, and the other in it. And you just want to keep it. Um, And so I had it rebound and it was, it was, really fascinating to see him. And it, it actually wasn't, exp- I don't know, maybe he was just very friendly and he gave me an, an exceptionally good price, but it was incredibly, incredibly reasonable. I was anticipating that having the thing rebound would possibly cost as much as the purchase price of the missile. And I was prepared to do that. Um, but it turned out it was just, it was fractional. It was just a fraction of that. And But there are still people who do it and not many, not many, but um, and it's a it's a fascinating thing to watch, and it's cool to go into the workshop and see all of the big sheets of leather, and and um, and they can do some pretty intricate stuff. And of course, I just had mine done very plain with black black leather over cardboard, and he did a fantastic job. And but yeah, all these all these little things, you wonder is is he the last generation? Does he have a boy that he's training to come up behind him? Who knows? You know, it's it's sad to think. Maybe one of the few saving graces of the Internet is that trades like this, which are going to be documented and put on, yeah. on YouTube, people are going to figure out how to do it. And, you know, maybe your first three or four attempts will be horrible, but that's yeah. how you learned about things. I mean, yeah, when I started with photography, I mean, that my first several attempts were horrible. And as a, as a programmer back 20 years ago, when I first started writing applications, I would never want to look at that code that I wrote because it would be absolutely horrid. It got the job done, but that's the whole point. You go through this, you have practice, you learn. And it, at the very least, you have the, the pride in saying, hey, I did that by myself. I didn't have to go buy something for it. Well, well I mean, but I, unless you want to make your paper, but that's that's another level. Well, of, I was just going to say, I don't want to rain on your parade, but in terms of talking about just the example we were just talking about of book binding, where you need that leather, 
where are you going to get that leather? Who knows? Some, you have to kill, you have to kill the cattle. You have to chemically tan and process leather. That is difficult. That is extraordinarily difficult. Where are you going to get leather? So there's, and you know, at, at that point, where are you going to get cardboard? Where are you going to get, um, where are you going to get thread? You know, I mean, it, it just goes on and on and on. And, you know, we're so used to, well, leather magically comes from Korea. Well, in a sense that that, that is true. Um, all of the cattle that are killed in the United States or the vast majority of the cattle that are killed in the United States, the hides are put on barges sent across the Pacific. They go to Korea. They're processed in Korea. Um, a lot of shoes are made in Korea for that reason. But then also just raw, ready, ready to go leather is then sent back across the ocean back over here. I don't think there are many tanneries at all in the U.S. And, you know, people were were eager to get um, tanneries out of the country because it's it involves a lot of really caustic chemicals and it's pretty, it's unpleasant. Tanneries are very unpleasant. And so there's like, yeah, if we, if we can shoot this all over to Asia and have them do it over here, we will do that just to not have the the tanneries in the United States. Well, you're going to pay the price for that too. So maybe the better thing to do would be to invent technologies to make sure that the tanning process, that the chemicals are contained and controlled and it's cleaner and not as caustic. Maybe develop the tech technology instead of just throwing your hands up and sending everything over to literally the opposite side of the planet to, well, the Koreans are sort of our friends. <laughs> the South Koreans are sort of our friends, but um you know, that could, if, if, if the Chinese communists decide that they don't want that to continue, let's be honest, they could, they could steamroll over South Korea in a heartbeat. Well, they certainly have the manpower to throw to the project. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and in terms of, yes, making your own things. Yes. You, you did complete the thought that occurred to me just after I said it, even if you're making your own book bindings, there's still a lot of other, other raw materials you'd have to, mm -hmm. you'd have to get. I mean, I guess if you really want to go full Ray mirrors and just make things out of trees directly, go for it. That that's awesome too. But um, yeah, just, just learn to be more handy, but that's good. That gets back to the original thing that I was talked about. You know, one of the things I love to harp on about what's the biggest problem in society is that we're stupid. The education system doesn't really train us to do useful things yep. or contra educates us or tells us that we don't need to learn about certain things. Yep. Hey, go do computers. We need that. No. How about these practical skills that we actually need that require people? You cannot outsource things like uh, meat cutting and meat packing. You cannot outsource carpentry. You can't outsource uh, plumbing. There's a lot of things that simply cannot be outsourced because there needs to be a human being here doing it. Yeah. And, and they're high-tech, high-paid, or I shouldn't say high-tech, but they're high-skill, high-paid jobs. But the thing of it is, is that what what the enemy has done in the United States is they, they've told the kids that any sort of manual labor at all is basically beneath them. And... Everybody does. Everybody deserves to have, you know, a, a job paying, you know, a buck and a half, a buck seventy-five, where you sit in an office 
and you have a diploma on the wall behind you and that's that is successful and that anything oh look at these look at these trailer trash kids and these retards who are going off and you know going to the votech program at the high school and oh and welding and oh and automotive repair oh only the trash does that there's really been that movement to try to convince um young people that any sort of manufacturing, production, manual labor, anything like that is just beneath them. And they are better than that. And yeah, because that's there's nobody repairing do. German cars making $175,000 a year. Mm, there are, but you know, I'm saying you, it sarcastically. Of course. I know, I know. But do you, do you see kids, you know, what are, what are the kids today called millennials or are we beyond that? Generation Z, whatever, whatever it is, the average 18, 19 year old today, do you think that there are kids in high schools today who are, who are average middle-class kids who are sitting there thinking to themselves, yeah, I, I want to be a mechanic. No, they're all being told you need to go, you need to go to college, get a four year, then maybe another two or three years for a master's and sit in an office and do an office job. And that's success. That's success. Only losers would be doing, would be mechanics. But yeah, you're right. There are mechanics who make a buck 75 and there are plumbers who make a buck 75 and there are um, specialty welders that make a buck 75. Um, and if you're like but, me and didn't catch it first, when Ann says a buck 75, she's talking about $175,000 a year. Yes. <laughs> Not $1 and 75 cents an hour or anything like this. <laughs> yeah. I was confused by that at first because I'm thinking, no, 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 they make real money. And it's like, Oh, duh, she's shorthanding this. And so yes, we weren't really intending to make this a trades show, but we sort of did. And well, it's kind of inevitable given current events, but it looks like, it looks like we've got a darn good show and we're right at our target. We're right at 145. So yeah, I didn't say anything before we started recording about how long I thought we had we had in terms of notes because I figured as long as we have something to talk about, we're going to go. So, yep. And we didn't even <laughs> cover we did not even cover the whole topic of legal liability and and restaurants, which they're not open yet. So I think that's a topic that can save. Yeah, we can we can hit that on the next one. I also want to talk about the people aren't aren't they adorable people talking about suing China, my dear. So I'm going to sue China for for $200 billion, my dear, that is called war. <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't sue a sovereign nation for $200 billion. You have a war. That's what that's called. So yeah. And I, th I think individual states aren't allowed to do that anyway, because I think that would, could be interpreted constitutionally as a form of trying to make a settlement with a foreign country. And that has to go through the state department, but it is kind of humorous to look at uh, the state of Missouri uh, suing China. And, but you know, all, all credit to your state motto and all, you can't wage suit and then say, now show me. No, you've got to prove it, actually. That's that's how lawsuits work, but actually you don't have standing to do it, so that ain't going anywhere. Well, I, I want to see the collection on that one. I, I want to see the, the state of Missouri get a judgment against China for $200 billion, and then I want to see the collection on that. I want front row seats and buttered popcorn, please. That will be That will be most amusing. Well, yeah, and especially when, when the check that is then mailed uh, through Air Cargo China shows up, but then doesn't actually deposit. Yeah. What, what, what are you going to do about that? <laughs> you, t you take cashier check. 
that's probably a probably a good time to wrap up right about now. Um, yeah, so there there are some topics left over we're going to get to that we didn't quite get to, even though we had an hour and forty minutes to talk about it. So. Uh, the email address for the podcast, where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, other topics of relevance to Financial Friday. We kind of like to do more of these, uh, break out that theme from time to time. The email mm-hmm. address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for Ann's benefactors, at least one mass every single day, Mul- multiples usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, once a week, there's a requiem mass for everybody who died the previous week. Um, if you've been on Twitter at all lately, priests are getting a lot of hate. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's just within the trad community alone. I mean, we don't need evil uh, liberal bishops to be pounding on trads. We just need to let the trads do it to each other. I mean, yeah. it's, it's sad. It's human nature. And uh, the point I'm getting at here is pray for the priests. They yep. they definitely need our prayers. They're taking it from all sides. Every, yep. every direction you can possibly think of. Uh, there's probably no – talk about trades – uh, if, you, if you want to be heroic and manly and stand up to assault from every single direction, become a priest. You, yep. you will be, if not red martyred, you will be white martyred for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely guaranteed. But yep. there's a crown that comes with it. So, you know, keep the faith and, and do a good job. And there is a reward at the end of the day. Just oh, not yeah. in this world. Not in this world. Uh, the Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something of value in this or in previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com slash donate for the mailing address. No, I don't have digital donation capability yet. Um, not directly. I mean, if, if you if you wanted, we could work something out if you wanted to, just email me, email at supernerdmedia.com. But it's not terribly critical. Uh, that this, this is the part that would, that would keep the websites going and and uh fund equipment which i don't need to buy at this point because i've got all the the audio equipment for doing this stuff yeah. uh, i just say this because it's part of my my wrap-up notes and it, it is part of the long-term sustaining thing for keeping all of all of the digital infrastructure going but it's not critical the fact if it was I, I, I would have moved faster yeah. to turn on digital donations uh if this was something yeah, exactly. highly critical but yeah. if, if you want to donate there is a mailing address uh, if you want to explore some other option, email at supernerdmedia.com and we can figure something out. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of figuring something out, Matthew 1720. Matthew 1720, intention, fasting twice a week, and of course, prayer every day. Fourfold intention that, number one, that Bergoglio be recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified. Intention number two, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope since April of 2005, and he just had his 15th anniversary um, within the last week. Um, that uh, intention number three, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time and someday achieve the beatific vision. And he needs all the time that he can get because, you know, he has so much to repent for. We are not praying for the hastening of anyone's death. Um, and intention number four, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger repent of whatever he might need to repent of die in a state of grace in the fullness of time and someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. Keep praying and don't doubt guys. Don't doubt that this situation, the divine providence is working this situation and it will be, it will have a direct bearing on the resolution of the, the 
usurpation of the Petrine Sea. There's no doubt about that, that this is all going to play into that somehow. I mean, look, look at the situation in Rome and, you know, it's half empty and half of them are gone. And, oh, it's, it's very interesting. And I'm begging our Lord every day, just unleash the power of your right arm and just make it happen. Unleash it. We're ready. <laughs> Do it now. But, you know, fullness of time, fullness of time. He's got a, he's got a big plan and it's going to be awesome. However it plays out, it's going to be awesome. So keep praying. I personally would prefer mercy. Uh, but then again, maybe the, uh, maybe the triumph of the Immaculate Heart is a combination of mercy and justice. I don't know. I guess we'll, if we live to see it, we'll find out. Uh, we will. <laughs> and until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. 